Shalom, Gracians. Are you relieved that Phase 2 Heightened Alert is coming to an end? And you can soon celebrate where you want to dine in and whom you want to dine in with. Well, we can only be hopeful of a gradual return to greater personal freedom and choice. Providentially, our topic for today is free will, which is the fifth and last sermon in this series. Now, this is an exceedingly complicated topic, especially within the confines of 35 minutes. Theologians and philosophers alike through the centuries have attempted to address this real tension or paradox between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I remember one of the first books I bought after I became a Christian was one by the Danish philosopher and theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, on this exact topic. One of my pastors then was quite concerned about the suitability of such reading material for a new convert. She warned me that this book would be heavy. So a word of preparation, today's sermon will not be light or light-hearted. The Supernatural Realm series have thus far acknowledged and affirmed the free will of humanity. That is to say, in creating Adam and Eve to be his imagers, Yahweh had given them the freedom to choose how they would want to act. And sadly, they acted contrary to God's will. The rest, as they say, is history. But for us, the rest of our history is still in the future. The recovery of the Eden project. Hence, our sermon's big idea is this. Choose wisely. Because what we do and what we choose matters for now and for eternity. Type in the chat, choose wisely. Two common questions on this topic always come up on the topic of free will. First, the question is, if God is truly sovereign and had foreknown the disobedience of Adam and Eve, why did he still allow it? Why didn't he stop the centuries of pain, suffering and death that would plague humankind as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve? A second question could be this, if it happened in Eden, under ideal conditions, what would prevent the restored divine and human family of God from committing the same in the revived Eden or the new heaven and earth? I will attempt to answer this in due course by asking three very broad questions. First, the first question is this, what is free will? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in this body, whether good or evil. The fact that God judges the deeds done while we are in this body must mean that we are fully responsible for the actions of the choices and decisions we make here. To be held accountable for these actions, uh, whether good or evil, implies that we are free moral agents, able to exercise free will. It therefore becomes very important for us to know what free will is. Free will, stated simply, is the power or ability to choose to do what we want to do and to choose not to do what we don't want to do. For example, I'm standing at a fork and there are two ways for me to go ahead, either right or left. To have free will means that these both are equal possibilities. I can turn right as well as left. Or say, I have work that needs to be finished. Having free will means I should have power to decide equally between finishing it or leaving it unfinished. So to have free will means that we must be able to choose freely 
and independently without being forced to, to decide one way or another. We see that indeed Adam had free will in Eden. Genesis 2, verse 15 to 17. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. For Adam to be held accountable, he must have been equally capable of obeying or disobeying God's command. That is, he could eat just as much as he could refrain from eating. What should have governed his choice was the consequence that each action would bring. In this case, if he ate, he would surely die. If he refrained from eating, he would not die. From this, we can learn that humans are not held accountable for the fact that they can choose freely, but for why they choose what they have chosen, knowing the consequence each choice would bring. What about Eve? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to her eyes, and the tree and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. We choose a particular path because it appeals to us personally. And that's why faced with the same possibilities, each of us may, can, and will choose very different paths. How we exercise free will depends on how desirable a particular choice is to us. In the fork on the road example, I might have been more inclined to take the path to the bright city lights like Lot because they promise a more exciting and prosperous future as opposed to the desert and plains or take the opposite path like Abraham because he preferred to be where God's blessings were even though it meant the desert. Or as in the second example, I would want to finish my work because my job depends on it and I would want to do a good job if my life depended on it. Our hearts indeed direct the exercise of our free will. It is so important therefore to guard our hearts because it determines our choices, whether in the major decisions of life, like our area of study, our profession, our relationships, our spouse, our faith, or in the day-to-day -day decisions of how I would want to spend my time and my resources. Free will of itself is neutral. There is both the possibility of doing good or evil. Hence, if we sin, it is not because we have been given the free will. What makes the difference is our nature and our desire. That is, we really choose what we want. Type in the chat, we choose what we want. All who come after fallen Adam have a tendency to choose that which is sinful because of the nature that has been corrupted either by our independent willful defiance or through the trickery of the rebel Elohim. This corrupt nature yields evil desires that go against all that is good and godly. So notes Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. He says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So what constitutes free will? To summarize, free will alone does not predispose us to sin. Our sins are a result of our choices, spurred on by our intentions, led by our desires, 
and determined by our character and nature. Free will only gives us the ability to express the purposes of our heart. When our heart's purpose, when our heart's desires are pure and godly, our actions will be too. All right, at this point, if we are honest, we will see a problem. Free will gives creation the option and the free play to do evil as well as good. And both the supernatural beings, the Nakash, the sons of God, the Elohim, and humankind have, have proven that the opposite of good, which is rebellion, evil, depravity, and destruction, has long stained our joint history. Why didn't God just make His images able only to do good and to obey His commands? Won't that have eradicated sin in the first place? Short answer, because that would not have been free will. Which leads us to ask the second broad question. Why was free will given to us? The Bible offers us at least two reasons. The first, it was to image God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Adam was given the freedom to name the animals. And you can actually blame him for Agra-Cadabra, the beetle, or the Tasmanian devil, or Platypus, the duck-billed, bat-feet mammal, a contradiction of an animal. Who else could it be but Adam, who started this seemingly random naming convention? But this ability to freely make choices, to call a dog, dog, and an elephant, elephant, was an important element in co-reigning and representing God's authority over creation. This is an example of God giving humankind the prerogative to make their decisions in carrying out the responsibilities as His images. This is how both the supernatural and natural beings participate in the Eden project of extending God's rule to the whole earth by making decisions and choosing both the means and the methods to bring order into this world. To be clear, free will is not the status of Yahweh's images. It is only one of the attributes we share with God in order to represent Him as His images. It is a means to imaging, but not the image itself. For more on this, please refer to last week's sermon where Pastor Joey Asher expounded on the three ships in our imaging of God. Secondly, why was free will given to us? It was an act of God's love. Free will was given not to test us, nor cause us to suffer in decision, nor to make us fail. Not at all. Free will was given first so that we would not be robots. Now type in the chat, not robots. Uh, why, are then, why then are you typing? <laughs> what's, what satisfaction does it give the Creator if His creation cannot respond to Him freely? Yahweh would rather have free moral creatures who can choose to obey Him because they want to, rather than robots who obey Him because they cannot not obey Him. God is the Lord of the living and breathing, each uniquely designed. Creatures that can feel and relate and create with Him. More importantly, to be able to procreate in order to extend and populate Eden. There was an article on 10 reasons why it would be good it would be a good idea to marry a, a robot 
but only one for why it was not. That one reason why we should not marry a robot was because it will be too perfect. And those of us who are married will know it's very hard to measure up to a spouse who is perfect. Secondly, as an act of love, why did God create us? So that we can reciprocate His love, return His love. Revelation 4, 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God's act of love towards His creation was an act of His free will. Love and the reciprocation of love can only be meaningful when both are acts of free will, not by compulsion or forced. If our response to God is because we have been programmed like robots to do so, it would not be a response of love. 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us, would make no sense because without free will, we will not be able to reciprocate God's love. Love, as we know, is risky business. Granting humanity free will is risky. There is always a 50-50 chance humankind will fail. But love and forgiveness will have no place if we were not human, for to err is human. To love is to give permission for mistakes and the allowance for the recipient to respond freely. That's why bringing children into, into the world is a calculated risk all parents take. But it is worth the risk, isn't it? Now, in reality, the dilemma of free will is not something we grapple with each day. Choices that we have already made logically limit the choices that are available. Now, before I was married, I had the freedom to choose any female in the world to be a spouse to. But since Linda and I made the choice to be married to one another 32 years ago, it's a done deal because we lovingly and willingly limit ourselves from exercising the freedom to make another choice till death do us part. So why did God give us free will? So that we will grow into maturity. A part of our human makeup is the ability to develop and grow, to experiment, to make mistakes, and to learn from them so that we become wiser and not just older. As children, we start with innocence and ignorance. All choices look equally desirable. For example, when the parent, who apparently has greater experience, tells a child not to do something, like putting his finger into the wall power socket, it's for the child's own good if he hits the warning. So parents are here to help our children grow. Proverbs 22 verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In discovering our world, as we grow, we learn that there are physical laws. For example, we could, we could choose to, we might want to, but we can never fly or walk on water. And there is such a thing as gravity. And the gravity of knowing the difference between sitting underneath an apple tree or a durian tree. We also learn about moral laws. For example, why taking the property of another is wrong and chargeable. And why lying and cheating is against the law. It's wonderful for us as parents to see how our children grow in their knowledge of good and evil to become morally equipped adults, so as to exercise their free will in making good choices responsibly, lovingly, and with discernment. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, 24. 
Paul says all things are permitted, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted, but not all things build people up. No one is to seek his own advantage, but rather that of his neighbour. I remember many years ago, somebody asked me this. He said, Pastor, is this particular vice uh, prohibited in the Bible? Is it clearly written in the Bible that you cannot do this? I said, no, there's no such verse in the Bible. So he said, oh, that means we have freedom to do it because it's not in the Bible. It's not prohibited in the Bible. But then I asked him, what is true freedom? Is true freedom only the ability to act freely? Or is it also uh, the ability to not act? Free will is not just free self-expression. For the matured, it is one of willing self-limitation, so as not to encroach or violate the free will of one's neighbour. It is the act of loving our neighbour as ourselves and treating others as you would want yourself to be treated. So my freedom not to wear a mask, for example, in this COVID-19, is only valid up to the point that it does not endanger the freedom of another. Having faith for oneself does not mean I can jeopardize the lives of others. You know, God himself is indeed free to do as he likes because he is Lord and creator of all, of things in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth. Yet he refrains from mindlessly exercising his free will. And so can we. As his images, we must learn to make our decisions in response to God's love, to choose not only what benefits us the most, but what the most loving response is to the needs of those under our care and under our influence. That is, to make every decision based on unity and the blessings it brings to the majority instead of just expressing individuality. Genuine free will is never only to act in freedom, but also to refrain from acting if one so decides and chooses. If there's a problem with free will, it is not that God has given us the free will. It is when we don't use discernment or wisdom in exercising our free will. But you may ask, did Yahweh then need members of His divine human family to consciously make the choice to disobey, just because they could, before He could accomplish His purposes? Of course not. The risk of creating image bearers who might freely choose rebellion was something God foresaw, but He did not decree. As we shall see, God's sovereignty ensures that even the folly of seen and unseen beings cannot derail His plan for the Edenic vision. So broad question number three, how does our free will work in relation to God's will? To understand this, we must first understand the foreknowledge and predestination of God. God's foreknowledge is His ability to know events before they occur. And predestination is God's preordaining of such events so that they occur. Two questions also often come up when we talk about the foreknowledge and predestination of God. If God knows all things ahead of time, why doesn't He stop? Or why doesn't He disallow calamities from happening? For example, auto accidents or a person being in the exact wrong place at the exact wrong time. Why doesn't God intervene in cases like that? How is the gift of free will compatible with predestination and God's foreknowledge? If events are already foreordained, how can we still have the freedom to decide independently? Let's look at two biblical examples. The first one comes from David, and it's a story found in 1 Samuel 23, verse 10 to 13. Verse 10, Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kyla to destroy the city on my account. 
Will the man of Kyla surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Verse 12, then David said, Will the men of Kyla surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Israel's future king, David, had been on the run from King Saul, hiding at Kyla, whose inhabitants David delivered from the Philistines. David appealed to God's foreknowledge on whether Saul would destroy the entire city because of him and whether Kyla would turn David over to Saul to save themselves. God in his foreknowledge answered yes to both questions. Verse 13, Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kyla, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kyla, he gave up the expedition. God's foreknowledge here did not predestine David to a premature death. It actually helped prevent it. What David did right was to inquire of the Lord, and he made plans following God's revelation. The foreknowledge of God did not lock David into his future, but gave him insight on which to make better decisions. David was still able to exercise his free will freely, but also wisely, and escape from the clutches of Saul. Second example comes from Paul in Acts chapter 21, verse 10 to 14. Verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. This is an opposite example to David's. Here Paul was set to go to Jerusalem. And despite what was revealed by the Spirit, that Paul would suffer hardship and persecution, his heart's desire was still resolute towards Jerusalem. No matter what consequences await him there, he had freedom to be persuaded by his colleagues not to go. But his decision was to go nonetheless, knowing full well the troubles he would face. What we have learned from these two examples is that divine foreknowledge does not necessitate divine predestination. In both cases, David and Paul were still free to decide on their course of action based on God's foreknowledge. David decided to change course while Paul remained fully on course. The omniscience of God requires that God knows everything, that is all possibilities, the events that happen and those that do not. By definition, God cannot not know anything, whether past, present or future. Everything is, is an open book to Him. The question is whether He restricts the free will of humanity to accomplish the events that He predestines. He knows the end, but does He dictate the means? God did not predestine the fall of divine and human beings, although He foreknew it. And when it happened, it grieved Him. The risk of bestowing free will to His human images was the price He would pay in sending His Son to redeem us. Did the rebellion of the divine and human families derail God's Eden project then? No, 
because there's yet another attribute of God at work, and it is the sovereignty of God. What does it mean to say that God is sovereign? God's sovereignty means that all outcomes are in His hand. We see Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, Joseph talking to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph's story is one of God's sovereignty. And this text, Genesis 50 verse 20, is the golden text on God's sovereignty. That somehow, and this is a mystery, when all the deeds, both good and evil of humankind, including the influences of fallen spiritual beings, are all added up, God's will will still be accomplished. Joseph knew that God's will was able to, to accommodate for any and all choices free moral agents make regardless of them being right or wrong in the grand scheme of things. Of course, all such free moral beings will still have to bear the consequences of their choices. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to, to 30. Verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In this passage, we find the two concepts of foreknowledge and predestination intertwined. I want to especially highlight that the tone of Romans 8 is exceptionally bleak. Paul was not referring to the victories, the favor, the blessings that come to believers, but the opposition, the obstacles, the pain, confusion, disappointments, and suffering that wage against the loyal believers of God. But he comforts them by reminding them that in the final analysis, at the end of the day, what God has purposed for his loyal believers will come to pass. Amen. The sovereignty of God is able to encompass all things, whether beneficial, good, or otherwise and ensures that in the process, we become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more. Jesus, who is our supreme example on God's sovereignty. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Let's look at verse 23. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and for knowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Jesus submitted himself to his Father's sovereign will, which recites both God's foreknowledge and predestination, knowing and trusting that his exercise of his free will to obey God would be vindicated and justified. Speaking of Jesus, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, quoting from Psalm 40, says this, Then I said, Behold, I, meaning Jesus, have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Free will is only truly free, as Jesus demonstrates, when we align ourselves to God's will. Not my will, but your will be done. Right in the chat, God's will equals our will. 
That is why I believe in the restored Eden with the perfected nature of Christ in us and devoid of the wicked influence of Satan and his minions, we will be truly free to use our free will to what? To always choose God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. And Yahweh in His sovereignty is fully in charge of every outcome without the need to control every aspect of human and divine activity. For those of us who remain as loyal believers, it means that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. I know today we have many, many concepts. We've gone through a lot of this. But let me try to summarize uh, with six points. First, free will is a gift from Yahweh for us to represent Him as His images. Two, free will is neutral. How one exercises it depends on one's nature, which affects one's character, colors one's intentions, limits one's choices, and determines one's actions. Three, we are to grow in wisdom and maturity in our decision-making, learning to choose that which is good and loving. Four, God's foreknowledge and predestination do not excuse human responsibility for our choices. Five, God's sovereignty ensures that ultimately His will and His will alone is done, that His loyal believers will be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. And sixth, free will is only truly free when we align ourselves to God's will. In a couple of years, I will have lived twice as long as a disciple of Christ than as a pre-believer. I would have been married and been a father longer than I've been single. And I would have served in Grace Assembly for more than a third of my life. At each juncture, I made a choice to follow God's will. Where I am now, I am sure God foreknew. But did He predestine? I, I don't really know. But all I know is this, that His sovereignty has kept me through the ups and downs, through the highs and lows, the fox on the road, on this journey of becoming more and more like the image of His Son, Jesus. Am I there yet? No. But thank God, I'm closer each day. Therefore, choose well and choose wisely because what we do and what we choose matters. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for the gift of free will. Knowing that we are given the freedom to decide unlike robots. That it was your will that took the risk of us disobeying your commands and falling after that rebel Elohim. And it was your love that took the willing sacrifice of your son Jesus to redeem us from the errors of our choices. May we not be like children, but may we grow in discernment and wisdom, knowing good and evil, knowing your will, through your word and by the leading of your Holy Spirit and by willingly uh, putting ourselves accountable, placing ourselves accountable uh, one to, to another. We pray that God, in decisions that we make, whether small or great, we will follow the example of David, who sought you first, who inquired of you first, not last, before he carried out his plans or before he made his decisions. Lord, help us in our choices uh, to respond to your love and to reflect your love for others. So that not only in our free will do we act, but we also learn how to abstain from acting so that uh, it is for the greater uh, good, for the greater good of everyone. 
Father, lastly, we pray that, God, that we will continue to be your loyal images so that in your sovereignty, your will, your purposes, and your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven through your body, the church. In all this, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless.